0: I heard the same message that a lot of young women hear in that situation, your life is over, you're not going to go to college, you're not going to be successful. And even then, I knew that education was the best way for me to actually be able to provide you know, for this child.
1: This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. On this episode of In the Know, I spoke to Nicole Lynn Lewis, founder and CEO of Generation Hope, a nonprofit based in the D.C. area that works to ensure all student parents have the opportunities to succeed and experience economic mobility. Generation Hope engages education and policy partners to drive systematic change and provide direct support to teen parents in college, as well as their children through holistic two-generation programming. Nicole has a very inspiring story and valuable perspective. I think you'll enjoy this episode. Okay, Nicole. So most of our listeners, or at least some of our listeners, are probably familiar with you through your uh, work just generally, but also because you spoke at our Congress uh, virtually um, in October. So for those of you or for those of our listeners who aren't familiar, would you mind just giving a brief background into the work you've been doing um, with Generation Hope and just, you know, I think a little bit of your personal history uh, would be great, too, because it is it's pretty incredible and uh, certainly inspiring.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Um, So I started a nonprofit organization called Generation Hope back in 2010. And our mission is to help young parents in the DC metro area earn their college degrees while also helping their children get ready for kindergarten. And then we also advocate nationally for the needs of uh, parenting students all across the country. And uh, my personal story is very much aligned with the mission of this organization. I got pregnant my senior year of high school. I was college bound, honor roll student, Um, you know, taking advanced classes involved in a bunch of different clubs and activities, not at all uh, the student that you picture when you think of a teen parent or a teen pregnancy. Um, And even though, you know, I discovered my pregnancy in the midst of getting a bunch of acceptance letters to different colleges, uh, I heard the same message that a lot of young women hear in that situation, your life is over, you're not gonna go to college, you're not gonna be successful. And even then I knew that, education was the best way for me to actually be able to provide you know for this child and so i made a promise to my mom and to myself that i would go to college in, in a year and um and uh that year was probably one of the most difficult years of my entire life i was uh in a really uh, tumultuous relationship with my daughter's father i was Homeless for periods of time, sometimes sleeping in the car in the high school parking lot. I almost didn't graduate from high school because of excessive absences. Um, nothing about my life at college. And, and in fact, when I discovered that I had been accepted into the College of William and Mary in Virginia, I was eight months pregnant and I was living day to day in a Motel 6. So not at all, um, kind of what you think about, you know when you think about an incoming freshman, um, especially at a school like William and Mary. and um, but I started there when my daughter was a little under three months old, and I always tell my uh, tell people that I looked down at my feet and I thought, these feet don't belong here. I was surrounded by people, you know, other students who had a ton of support um, resources, and they didn't have parenting responsibilities like I did. And I was one of very few black students, you know, at the school. So it was layers upon layers of um, other, you know, being othered on that campus. Um, But I put one foot in front of the other and I thought, let me just see where it takes me. And that's what I did. And um, I, over those four years, they were really tough. You know, I experienced many of the things that the students that we now um, work with through Generation Hope experience from you know, food insecurity. How do you um, feed yourself and your child? How do you pay for diapers and wipes and a textbook for class? Childcare, you know, was always really tough. Um, And But I did, I graduated in four years, just like any other student. my daughter walked across the graduation stage with me. And, um, you know, that experience really um, planted a seed in me to um, help to make that kind of success possible. For other young parents and parenting students all across the country.
1: So we know now, partly through work um, of organizations like Generation Hope, that there is no one type of college student. You know, anyone can go to college at any age in, uh, you know, a variety of circumstances. Um, but we're we're still not quite there yet in what you know, like in making sure that every school has sort of a holistic approach to catering to all types of students. When you uh, when you were in college, were there any um, supports that were available to you or what did you see as most lacking in the services that were available to you?
0: Well, I wish I could say that there were some key supports that really made a difference for me in college, but um, it was more of the lack of supports that motivated me to come up with solutions. Um, So I think. I mean, th- I think taking a big step back, just naming the fact that higher ed wasn't designed for um, parenting students and wasn't designed for many of the populations um, that I think, as you said, we're we're recognizing more and more and and realizing the importance of investing in um, students of color, low income students, first generation college students, um, parenting students. You know, higher ed. Was not designed um, for any of these groups, and so now we have to do a lot of work to go back and say, um, you know, how do we create more inclusive campus environments that really do recognize and validate and invest in these in these amazing students um, at William and Mary? You know, William and Mary is is one of the early early colonial colleges in this country, one of the first colleges in the U.S. and um, it it, and other uh, colonial colleges really baked in the DNA uh, for the higher ed system that we know today. Um, so, you know, at one time you could bring your uh, slave with you to college at William & Mary, they owned a tobacco plantation. Um, so when we think about what that DNA includes, right, it, that, that um, there's a lot of work to do around creating those more inclusive uh, campus communities uh, today. Um, I think, you know, one thing that is is really important about the student-parent population is that there is a sense of being completely invisible within higher ed. Um, I remember walking around campus and um, almost feeling like things were just, you know, happening around me and moving around me, and I was trying to find my way um, in, in a system, in an environment that really didn't see me for who I was. And a big part of my life was that I was a mom. I was raising my daughter on campus. and and um, But that was a, a big piece of me that I couldn't really share um, with the campus community. Sometimes I disclosed my parenting status to, to professors. Sometimes I didn't. Um, I had a mixed bag of punitive responses and sometimes really supportive responses. And so I think um, really starting at a place where uh our campus communities are seeing our parenting students and valid validating them and valuing them and that begins with that data collection really saying hey we're going to invest in tracking the parenting status of our students so we have a sense of who on this campus is caregiving Um, we want to be able to track this so that we know what their experiences are we can create supports that really meet them where they are and, and help them navigate the many challenges that they have. And then are they completing? You know, Are they actually making it to the graduation stage at our institution? Um, these are really important questions. And, and our inability to answer these questions contributes to that invisibility that, that parenting students feel. So I think that's a really important place to start. Um, and I, I think institutions have to recognize one, you want to collect the data and then two, you have to do something with the data once you collect it. Right. You yeah. have to actually, you know, say now that we know how many parenting students we have and we know how many are making it to the to completion. You know, we what are we going to do about it? How are we going to rally around them?
1: Yeah. So keeping keeping in mind your experience and the fact that fewer than two percent of teen mothers are in a college degree before the age of 30. How did you start Generation Hope, and how did you start to grow Generation Hope?
0: So I, I think going back to what is baked into the DNA of an organization, you know, Generation Hope was built from our inception with the student parent experience in mind, with my lived experience as a Black mother, as a Black teen mom navigating higher ed, and so all of our supports, all of our policies, all of our practices are are carried out that lens and that has really lent itself to a very inclusive environment um, where all of the decisions that we make are rooted in student voice all of our um, questions that we have on the table we're asking you know how does this impact the people that we serve um, you know what kind of things do they want to see coming out of you know this organization um, and that's from the big things in terms of um, the policies that we put in place Making sure that our emergency funding, for example, for students is a quick 72 hour turnaround time, um, as opposed to six weeks, which is what um, uh, some of the institutions that we work with have had in place. Um, but it's also, I mean, a great example. We we're working on what our reports and research um, uh, projects are going to be over the next three years. And we went to our community. We went to our scholars and our staff and. families and we ask them what are the topics that you want us to illuminate when it comes to the student parent experience and so um making sure that that we are including student parents not just around the table but as decision makers around the table and and really crafting the way that we do our work so that has been really important to us for, from our very beginning and it continues to be a, a strong value for the organization and um, you know i was just with some of our alums and and our students last night um, and just hearing them talk about what this community has meant to them it's just it's amazing to hear um, and i think it's a testament to when we do create intentional environments that are really about centering student parent voice and challenging the notion of what's possible. I think a lot of times we'll shut things down because, oh, that's not gonna work because we don't have the funding, or that's not gonna work because um, you know, we don't have the capacity or the time. Um, and we don't lead with that. We really lead with what are the solutions that need to exist and then um, we figure out how to make it happen.
1: Yeah, what I think is kind of interesting um, through the through my own research is that it oftentimes doesn't really take that much money Um, exactly yeah and you know most colleges can pull that you know we I I can't remember the I can't remember where I encountered this uh, piece of information but you know it's like uh, emergency grants of like less than five hundred dollars have a tremendous have a tremendous amount of uh, impact on students you know it's like oh can we just make that one rent payment or go to the grocery store that one time to get us over the finish line and um yeah, it really it really doesn't take a whole lot of money. Um, so if you if you are a single parent on a college campus, how do you first uh, or how should you first start interacting with the resources that uh, Generation Hope provides or is connected to or um, through your own campus? Yeah.
0: So. Um... So for single parents or student parents, teen parents in the DC Metro region, um, our application cycle opens up every December. And um, students can apply. We try to make it again a very le- least cumbersome application process as possible, um, recognizing that you know um, parenting students have very little time. Um, so we open that application cycle up. It's an online application, and then we always do a uh, an interview with each applicant because we recognize that there is um, uh, there are things that we can glean from a conversation that we just can't glean from that application and. Some things like pregnancies and evictions and um, domestic violence, all of those things can really have an impact on your GPA, can have an impact on your ability to re-enroll for a semester. So we want to get to know each of our applicants beyond that application. Um, And then at the same time, we are uh, recruiting mentors through our program. Um, Each of the students in our program is matched with a caring individual in the community who is, is like a cheerleader, really there to encourage them to keep going in those difficult uh, days and times, um, which you know ha- happen all the time for this population, as for many students. And um, and then we match our students with their mentors in the summer and, and begin working with them um, in August to start to really support them on their college journeys. Um, for student parents outside of the DC metro area, we're really excited that we're now partnering with institutions through our technical assistance program called Family U. And that program is really about how do we help institutions create those inclusive campuses? How do they start to bake that DNA um, around student parents into their environments um, to really get to better outcomes for their parenting students? So we're really excited about that work. Um, We launched our first cohort of four uh, institutions in the DC metro area um, in the summer of 2021. We'll be launching a second. Um, this coming summer of 2022. And um, again, this is an opportunity for us to reach, you know, thousands of student parents across the country by really helping institutions improve their student parent supports. Um, and we're we're gonna have student parents be a part of those teams, so it's those institutional teams through what we call our student parent fellows. Um, again, centering the student parent experience and voice in how how those campuses can really make those changes. So there are lots of different ways. We just also launched a policy and advocacy agenda that we're really excited about. And um, we have some federal and local priorities in that agenda. And that agenda will really be driven by student parents. So we'll be looking for um, opportunities to engage with, you know, parenting students, not only local to the DMV, but also across the country through that work.
1: Okay, great. Um, And Let's see. This might be kind of a difficult question, but um, if you are an administrator, a lot of our audience are uh, trustees and college uh, community college leaders. Um, if you're looking, if you're outside the DMV area and are looking to get uh more involved in making college more accessible for student parents, do you do you have any recommendations? Uh, good places to start.
0: Yeah, um, I think there there are some really good places to start. Um, One, I would say our website. We have uh, two, actually three reports that are available on our website right now that can really get you to start thinking about what student parent supports can look like on your campus. Um, We have reports on kind of how student parents are experiencing higher ed, how they're navigating higher ed, what their biggest challenges are from financial aid to career readiness, Um, not only surveying students in our program but also students across the country it's really interesting to see some of the commonalities and differences between two and four-year schools and um, just a lot of work to be done there Um, we also have a toolkit with some tangible uh, resources that folks can use template language they can use on their syllabus for example to really communicate that they recognize and support um, caregiving responsibilities of their students. So um, there are some great resources on our website that would be a good place to start to get you really thinking about it. Um, and then uh, I mentioned our Family U program, another great resource we will be launching that second cohort um, in the summer. And, um, and we also have wonderful partners in the field, um, Institute for Women's Policy Research is doing wonderful work on student parents and they have been doing that for quite some time Um, they're releasing new reports all the time that give you just a glimpse of you know why this work is important from how to start doing your data collection uh, to what is happening with students who have enrolled but had to stop out because of various hurdles that exist for caregiving students Um, and then the hope center for um, college community and justice is another really wonderful um, partner in the field, and and their work is, you know, mostly around basic needs, mm-hmm. um, but they do really call out the fact that student parents are a population that unfortunately are disproportionately experiencing um, basic needs and security, and so um, it's been wonderful to work with them as well, but I think a great starting point that I always ask uh, administrators and higher ed professionals to really think about is, is a question that I often ask, which is, do you view student parents as a liability on your campus or as an asset? And I think if most people were honest about themselves or about the way that their institution perhaps talks about this population, it would be that this population is is viewed as a liability. And that's where we have to start to shift our thinking. And I think if we can really shift our thinking to a place of you know, these students bring incredible uh, assets to our community, they're leaders, um, they're highly motivated to, to complete their degrees. They're they're multiple, you know, juggling multiple things all at once. We can learn from them in terms of time management and um, keeping all the balls in the air. Uh, and so I think if we can start to shift our thinking about who these students are and why they're worthy of these investments, then it'll be a great way for you to kind of kickstart your student parent work.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, the more the more types of people, the more backgrounds you have on your campus, it's just a tremendous asset. Um,
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I I hope I hope the um, trustees and leaders who are listening to this recognize that I think a lot of them do. Um, But, you know, it's like even just in a specific classroom, the more perspectives you have bouncing around, Mm -hmm. increase the learning opportunities for everyone who's present, including the faculty and professors. Um, Are there any individual students' stories that you want to highlight or talk about?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oh, my gosh, there's so many.
1: (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. Um,
0: Yeah. So I I was actually just with um, uh, some of our alums last night. One of our alums is um, just such an incredible student. Um, And uh, she attended a prestigious kind of four-year school in the D.C. area. She had a full ride to this school um, and, you know, her background was just so inspiring, is inspiring. Both of her parents, I think neither of her parents graduated from high school. Um, So she came into higher ed, you know, not only a first generation college student, but, you know, first generation high school graduate. And so when we think about, you know, the challenges that she faced, especially she was also a, a, um, a student of color. She was a black teen mother. And coming into this predominantly white institution had a full ride including housing um, but she had a son and she basically asked the uh, administration at this institution if she could um, have the housing support go to an apartment um, off campus so that she would be able to keep her son with her she was on the verge of homelessness she was um uh, dealing with a tremendous amount of housing insecurity and um, the school said no she had they said that she had access to a dorm room it was a room that she would have had to share with three other um, girls and of course she couldn't bring her son um, to that dorm room because she couldn't have children on campus and they told her that that was all they could offer her. And um, thankfully she was a part of our program. We were able to quickly work with her to get her into a shelter uh, where she could bring her son and she could uh, continue to go to school every day. But um, I mean, I remember at the time just thinking, as you said, like this small investment, right? For such a huge institution to be able to take that funding and put it towards um, some housing for a student who was bringing just this amazing lived experience that was quite unique on this campus um, was clearly worthy of that investment. And if she hadn't been involved in our program, uh, she might've fallen through the cracks. That might've been a situation where she couldn't continue. Thankfully she did. She graduated with a public health degree. She's working in the workforce and is just a trailblazer. Um, And she's just such a wonderful example of why this work matters, you know, why it's important and um, what is possible when we start to challenge the normal way of doing things and really say, why can't we do that, right? Like, why not? Um, But she's just one of many, many amazing stories that we get to just be uh, a, a small part of a Generation Hope.
1: I mean, it's a. it's pretty ridiculous i mean you're talking about if it's a elite dc area school i mean we we know the ones you know they have yeah. <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars in endowment exactly and, you know it's like you know like you said that student brings a tremendous amount of value even though it's not a fine necessarily a financial value it's you know a tree it's it benefits everyone to have students like that on campus
0: exactly
1: <laughs> um yeah i'm really i'm really glad that uh That things are working out for that student. Um,
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) um, Is there anything coming up with Generation Hope that you're particularly excited about?
0: Yeah, we have so many things. Um, Two things that are happening right in the new year. Um, We are uh, going to be sharing our 2022 policy priorities. So uh, our policy agenda for the organization focuses on three things. And And these uh, focus areas were really informed by a listening tour that we did with students within our program and also students across the country who are parenting, where we asked them, what would you want us to focus on when it comes to accelerating your success and and looking at policies that could do that? Um, And the three areas were higher ed, affordability and accessibility, Um, child care, affordability, and accessibility, and overall just opportunities for economic mobility. And so in uh, January, February timeframe, we're gonna be releasing what are the specific um, uh, pieces of legislation that we're going to really be advocating around when it comes to those three areas at the local and the federal level. So folks should be on the lookout for those priorities. Then there'll be some ways for others to get involved, um, which we're really excited about. And then um, I was awarded the Black Voices for Black Justice Award um, a little over a year ago, which is uh, a national award that uh, provides some funding to leaders who are advancing racial equity and racial justice. And um, that award came with some funds to have the the ability to really innovate and think about what would what would you like to do, you know, in the world with that funding. And and a big part of the funding went to Um, putting resources in the hands of student parents and asking them what kind of projects and ideas would they like to bring to life on their college campuses to make those campuses more family friendly Uh, we called it the our campus our voice challenge and it's been just amazing to read the proposals that have come out of that to see the ideas that student parents have had Um, in terms of what could make their campuses more family friendly. Um, We're gonna be sharing their ideas and um, what has come out of that challenge in uh, January, which we're really excited about and sharing some interviews and um, opportunities for people to see what they've come up with. And I think it's all about, again, how do we make sure that we're asking the experts, which we don't do enough, um, not only asking them, but giving them the micro grants to actually drive their ideas and, and bring them to reality, which is what we're doing with that funding so um we're going to share that in the new year, and I'm hoping that it will inspire institutions across the country to do the same thing to to really ask the experts and to include student parents as decision makers around the table
1: yeah, I'm sure it will um yeah, just uh yeah, I guess without getting in the weeds too much, what do you see as like a uh, for a college, like a basic program that they should have to make sure that, um, or basic infrastructure that a campus should have to make sure that student parents are heard and seen and supported?
0: Yeah, I think number one, making sure that, um, particularly at the leadership level, um, there is buy-in and a recognition of student parent work as being really critical work um and you know for that institution it needs to be work that is integrated into your strategic priorities and then also into your diversity equity and inclusion efforts Um, you know student parent work is racial justice work so having champions at that leadership level is really really critical um, but also having other champions throughout the institution. You know, sometimes I'll talk to colleges and they'll say, "Oh, we check the box on student parents because we have a child care center." Yeah, <laughs> And that's like <laughs> one piece of a huge puzzle um, yeah. because you know we know that one, you could have a child care center that's really mostly utilized by your staff and faculty. Um, two, it may not have enough slots and often doesn't have enough slots to serve all the student parents that you may have at your institution. Um, but three, what we really encourage institutions to think about is how do you implement this work across every level of your institution in all of your services? So from financial aid to your enrollment process, your orientation to um, your your policies around, um, you know, students living on campus, um, even parking and facilities, we have students in our program who are expecting and, and you know who are pregnant and have to walk uh, incredibly far to get to class because they can't afford to park on campus. So you know, when we really step back, we want people to see this work as a lens um, that they use to implement all of their services, as opposed to kind of a a siloed program. Um, and the other really important note is that this population intersects with so many other populations that institutions are already talking about. First-generation students, um, uh, students of color, low-income students. And so as opposed to thinking of it as a separate group, really understanding that it's often an umbrella of of students, right? It's an umbrella that, um, that really deserves that prioritization, that investment, and a recognition of the layer upon layers Um, of of challenges that they're dealing with. So um, I think sometimes it can get a little exhausting to think about, okay, it's another group now, (laughs) like another group that we have to create a new program for. and, And so we really want people to not think of this as another group. It's a group that's always been there. It's a group that you're talking about, but you're often kind of talking around.
1: I'll include a link to the Generation Hope website in this episode's description. They have a ton of great resources and information.